Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation Podcasts. Today's episode is about AI, future of work, and growth. And I am delighted to welcome Lomit Patel, Chief Growth Officer of Tinker and author of Lean AI. Lomit, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Susie. It's a pleasure. I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, Lomit, you're currently the Chief Growth Officer of Tinker, which is one of the pioneers in coding and edtech learning for schools. In fact, it has a platform, I think, used by over 60 million kids in 150 countries, is what I read. I think that's pretty impressive numbers. Really important around skills for the future and the future of work, which we'll come back to. But you're also the author of Lean AI. So for those of you watching, I'm I'm holding up Lomit's book, Lean AI, which looks at practical advice for using AI and automation for growth, but also uh, with leaner teams. So really, it's more than a playbook for me. It's also about the future of the codependency of human and and tech and, and how we go about managing that and also leveraging that. So let's start with Lean AI which is a big subject in itself. In fact, it's two subjects in one. But uh, can can you tell us more about, first of all, uh, Lean and AI together and what inspired you to write that book? I wrote Lean AI primarily because it was based on a lot of the experience and challenges that I was having Mm. at my last startup, which was called um, IMVU, which was um, a social gaming app. One of the big challenges, especially with, with any growing startup is how do you get more done with less, right? So it's all mm. about being resourceful and, and, <clears throat> and trying to get your budgets to stretch as far mm. as possible. And so starting with that premise, one of the things that, that that I wanted to really figure out was that we had a lot of great data on our customers at, at IMVU and a lot of startups now have so much data mm. But the data by itself doesn't really do much unless you can really turn it into actionable insights as quickly as possible. And so the lean part really comes from, you know, trying to execute running all these uh, sophisticated marketing campaigns, which primarily focus on how do you acquire customers? How do you retain, engage and monetize customers? Mm. So it's all. So my my role has always been around growing businesses. So it's all around how do you get customers and and then how do you keep them and figure out how to make money. And based on that, the AI part really came from, we had all of this great data and I was trying to hire a lot of people to really help me run these different campaigns. And it was so challenging, as Mm, as you know, know, hiring is a challenge in itself. What I envisioned, and this was back in like 20. 15, 2016, mm. I'm talking about where there weren't a lot of companies that were really doing this, which was all around automation. Like how much of these tasks and processes could you really automate? And the best way to automate is to really have the ability to leverage AI. And so the way I define AI is how do you get a machine to think and act like a human pretty much? Because, mm. you know, and then that time I realized we had a lot of this great data. And the question was, how could we use certain types of AI to really turn this data into actionable insights to help us to really uh, figure out who are the right customers we need to target? Mm. What are the right messages we need to target these customers with? What is the right personalized experiences we need to create in our product when we bring mm. these new users in so that they can get engaged as quickly as possible. And, and once we get them engaged, what's the right way to really take them through this user journey, which is the ideal 
user path to really get them to really see the the, the greatest value in the product as quickly mm. as possible. And that really comes from really personalizing the product to each individual. And that's really hard to do when, when, when you manually try to sort of create these experiences. And so by automating these experiences, we're really letting the AI to really talk to uh, these different platforms that we integrated that had some shape of AI built into it. So the magic really happened from really getting all of our data and integrating it into one place. And from there, having that data be populated into these different platforms that had AI built into it so Mm. that they were able to create this asynchronous experience across the entire journey for these new customers that were coming in. And when we did that, that's when we realized that we were able to get so much more efficient at acquiring customers. So Mm. the cost of acquiring a customer went down over 3x, which, which was pretty amazing at that time when it was really competitive. We were able to outcompete a lot of our bigger competitors in, in spaces like Google and Facebook mm. and all these other digital channels, primarily because we were, we were making real-time data-driven decisions and, and they were still trying to do things by using a lot of humans to really execute those campaigns. And what resulted from, from, from doing all of this mm was that we were able to indirectly increase the lifetime value of our customers, which meant that we were able to keep a, a customer to, to stick around a lot longer. And as a result of that, they were spending more money on our product, which mm. directly gave us the ability to get even more aggressive on our marketing. And, and so we ended up creating this virtuous cycle, which in business is really for startups. You, you know, the, one of the biggest challenges in any business, you don't want to run out of money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the best way not to run out of money is to figure out how you can create this virtuous cycle of being able to grow your business when you mm. use new revenue streams uh, so that you can continue to keep controlling your own growth for that needing to go and raise more money. And that's what we we're able to do because once we sort of created this whole engine around growth that was built on AI. And the lean part was that I was able to do all of this by really leveraging a lot of um, different marketing technology platforms. And I can Mm. go into more detail about that instead of hiring more people so that once, you know, it took a bit of time to get it implemented, but once we had it implemented, then we're able to scale and grow so much faster without needing to hire more people. Mm. And, and, And what resulted in that was that we were able to as an example, we were spending probably about fifty to sixty thousand dollars a month in a marketing budget, mm. and we we started spending over like two to three million dollars a month, and we were getting even more efficiency out of that spend. And so we really saw astronomical growth. And when I joined IMBU prior to doing all of this, mm. we were, for the most part, nobody really knew us on mobile. You know, mm. we were, we were kind of you know known as a gaming app on web but web was kind of a dying platform for us mm. and and in the space of a couple of years we've been consistently we ended up growing to becoming the second top grossing social networking app which is pretty huge when you're competing wow. with, it's with, huge. with <laughs> companies like facebook as being yeah. a social network or tiktok and ultimately you know being an underdog to do that the only way we were really able to achieve that outside of having a, a great product was really having a great growth marketing engine built on ai Hmm. Which sounds incredibly simple when you explain it to me like that, but I'm sure it's quite a complex process. Although the methodology is seemingly simple when you when you talk you talk me through it. So what what were your main, your main learnings from that very aggressive growth curve? What made it successful? 
I would say a couple of things. But the first thing is really with any transformation that you try to do in in any company, it really it, it all starts with people. At the end of the day, you need to get mm. you, you need to try and get need to build alliances internally first. Yeah. You need to get people to really get behind seeing a vision of where you want to try to make the transformation. Mm. And so for for me, you know, a big part of that was to really sort of um, talk to a lot of the the, the different stakeholders that were mm. going to be part of the process because none of this is really done in a vacuum at the end of the day you need to work with data engineering to really be able to create this this place where you can unify all of your data sources and so mm. you know a lot, a lot of our data sources were kept in different places in different servers and so the first thing we had to do was to was was to move a lot of our data in into the cloud cloud being you know where we created this customer data platform so mm. it's really easy to access that data so so, so to do that it was really about getting the head of engineering the head of product to really get behind that vision and and but it all starts with kind of the ceo and the c level executives so really getting them to to really see the value in doing this now versus deploying resources into some other project and and i think the biggest learning there was just over communicate and and keep sharing best practices and case studies and what other companies were potentially doing that that mm. were ahead of the curve and for us you know at that time uh, and and these are companies that most people have probably heard of today but it was companies like Netflix that mm. were really leveraging and there were companies like Amazon that mm. were really doing this and companies like Uber and Lyft but the point being there wasn't any gaming company that was really doing this at that time mm. and, and us being in the gaming space i wanted us to sort of be the leader in the space to really take that leap of faith and so that was one thing building internal alliances the second part of that was really doing a, a real audit internally like mm. do we have resources to really build this into what we want to build and one of the challenges with doing any transformation is just being honest with yourself to really really figure out what resources that you really do have and what resources you really need to kind mm. of get to where you want to go. And and what we found out was that for the most part, when I joined a company, it was a culture was there to try and build as much as possible. And what I found, you know, companies mm. that generally move really quickly when it comes to making transformations, it's all about trying to be nimble and agile as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is less about trying to build something and more about buy. So the question is, what are different technologies that you can kind of buy and mm. bring in to try and help support that transformation? Mm. And so I was fortunate, you know, that internally, you know, we didn't really have the, the resources to do this. But we were also honest enough to know that, you know, in order to do this, that I would require support and budget, which I was mm. given from, mm. from my exact team to actually mm. go and get them some of these platforms. So, so an example being one thing was just to try and migrate a lot of our data into like Amazon Web Service, you know, mm. that, try, try to move a lot of, mm. you know, getting bind storage on, on that was one piece. The other part of that, when it comes, because a lot of our use case was around marketing challenges around mm. acquiring customers and so we were trying to grow on mobile and so another one is a mobile measurement partner and so you know we worked with a partner called apps flyer and apps flyer really helps you to really understand the attribution in terms of how you're spending your money across different channels and really try to be able to figure out the main metrics around mm. what's the efficiency on that spend how much are you acquiring customers and what's your return on ad spend 
Mm. The other part of that was really trying to personalize the the whole onboarding user journey for these users that were coming into our product Mm. and really being able to run A-B tests as at scale to really figure out really mm. quickly, like uh, like if Susie's coming in from Europe, what's the best experience for her mm. is going to be different from Susie coming in from the United States. And, mm. and so in order to do that, we worked with this partner called um, Lean Palm, which was a customer CRM platform. But the big part was really connecting AppsFlyer, Lean Plum, and all of our data that lived kind of on the, in the cloud at Amazon. And, and it, it required building APIs and pipes so mm. the data was able to circulate really quickly in mm. real time. And putting the foundation, once we put the foundation in, the other part that I would say that's really important for any transformation is to really set set goals at the offset so mm. that everybody knows you know, how you're mm. going to measure success but also be super transparent about sharing successes and how things are going. And so once we implemented that, we fundamentally picked a use case that I knew would have immediate value to Mm. the business, which is really how can we grow the business as quickly as possible? And and that really depended on how can we spend our marketing budget as efficiently as possible. And so using that use case, and really being transparent about the the idea was to really scale our budget from fifty thousand to over a million as quickly mm. as possible, and and to try and get that return on investment where we would try to recoup whatever we're spending as quickly as possible. So, as an example, when we were doing this manually, it used to take us about six to eight months. So, mm. if we spent like a hundred thousand dollars, it would take us about six to eight months to get that money back from from keeping uh, from any customers that came in. And once we started doing all of the AI and just getting so much better, as we started getting more and more data, we were able to train. And so the component of AI that we really ended up using it was called machine learning, where mm. we were able to try and create a lot of correlations around behaviors and actions mm. that really led to our highest mm. value customers and and the types of users we wanted to target. Mm. And once once we started doing that, what we found in a matter of, I think it was like six to eight weeks, we started getting some really positive results. But over mm. three months in, we started decreasing our time to recoup our, our investment back. And eventually we had it where when we started spending millions of dollars a month, we'll be able to get most of that money back within like mm. 30 days, which was amazing. So that we ended up sort of creating our own virtuous cycle of, of investing this money and the customers would pay us that money back. So we would mm. just take that money and put it back into growth. And so we created this, this, this cycle where we didn't have to go out and raise money. And that's what really led us from being really nowhere to mm. becoming like the second highest grossing social gaming app mm. in the world. Which is brilliant and I mean, yeah. very impressive. What I'm hearing, I'm hearing quite a few things. So I'd just like to unpack a, a couple of them. So I'm hearing also that you're working in interconnected ecosystems and that you're managing almost as the norm, the complexity and the risk that's involved in those virtuous cycles. So I, I think that's really interesting from um, a leadership perspective as to how that enables the growth in, in your organization, whether it's a startup or a larger organization. I think uh, translating it into larger, larger organizations is interesting, but maybe a little bit more more difficult in terms of the organizational design and how agile that is. But I think also, um, if I come back to understanding data, so machine learning, 
only learns what you put in. So the quality of data as you put in, I think, is very interesting in terms of um, leaders understanding data. So what's in their data and what it will enable for them in terms of, let's say, new leadership skills. So an understanding of business processes, but also technical acumen. And of course, on top of that, what keeps us human? I mean, you mentioned Amazon and it reminds me of uh, you say in your book around Jeff Bezos saying, you know, business success is about looking at the things that won't change, not those that will, which brings me back to people. Not that people won't change, but we know that humans are wired in a certain way and that change takes quite a long time, even though we adapt well, as we saw with COVID and, and other such experiences. But it brings me to how can I take the learnings you've just given to me and help them to scale things in a larger, more uh, traditional organization. What, what's what's your thoughts there? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, point around Jeff Bezos that you brought up is a really good one because, mm. and, and I think this applies to any big organization yeah. for the most part, when people talk about AI, they're always trying to think of what's the most elaborate project that we could do with AI. And yeah, the funky and stuff. Sure, <laughs> And sure, you know, you know, you know, there's there's plenty of complexity things that AI can solve. An example being, you know, when we had the pandemic around mm. trying, trying to accelerate the testing and the approvals around vaccinations. A big yeah. part of that only happened because of AI, because it was able to really compute a lot of all of that data that was coming in to really figure out what's the right formula to really create the the quickest vaccination, mm. right? To, to, for the speed to market. But, you know, th- that's kind of an edge case of, of AI because most people aren't trying to save the world from, mm. from health crisis. And mm. so what I would highly recommend is, is look at use cases that no matter what you're doing today, which is a problem, is is also going to be a problem in, in five, 10 years mm. because then people can really relate to that problem. Mm. And so when it comes to business, one thing is always going to be around growth because companies are always going to look to grow. Whether you have an economic slowdown or you mm. have an economic boom, companies are always under the challenge on how do you continue to acquire customers, how do you continue to retain customers, how do you continue to like monetize and be able to drive predictable revenue mm. growth. And so I would try to focus AI projects around that. And that's what I ended up doing, which was how I was able to get a lot of consensus internally because everybody was mm-hmm. able to relate to that challenge. Yeah. And so in a, in a big company, I would start off with projects where it's going to be more of a unifier than a divider internally. Because yes. <laughs> yes. if you go with certain pet projects, it becomes pretty clear that that you're not going to get general consensus around it. No. So, so look at businesses and ultimately focus on two areas like how you either going to make more money or how you're going to save money. So it's yeah, either about yeah. growth or efficiency. And, and if you can tie back a project to that, for the most part, every company, especially big companies, they always have these different goals for different teams that ultimately ladder up into the bigger goal mm. that, that company is trying to strive to. And mm. so if you can sort of come up with AI projects that ultimately support the bigger strategic goal of the business, that's a great way to get internal consensus. And then the second part of that is really to do a risk audit mm-hmm. assessment in terms of mm-hmm. what are the resources it will take. And, and generally what I find is as humans, we always try to underestimate how much stuff it could cost and and, <laughs> and, and overestimate how much time it could potentially take. And, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I mm-hmm. feel at least for me, you know, what worked 
was to really come up with different scenarios ahead of time. So create scenario plannings around, hey, these are potential risks and what can the company can do to try and mitigate it as much as possible. Ultimately, there's risk in, in, in anything. There's risk even when you get in your car and you're driving down a road. Of course. But all you can do is try to control the, the inputs of what you can control. So for me, the way I always thought about AI was, there's levers or inputs that you can control, which is ultimately for us, it's really about getting our data mm. into one unified place, mm. trying to get the data to be as clean as possible and trying to make sure that we had a data acquisition strategy so that we we're able to predictably get that data mm. day in, day out. Mm. And then once we got the data, the idea was what's the technology landscape or the platforms that mm. we would need to really be able to, to integrate to that data to get to the outcome that we were looking mm. for. The outcome for us was really to grow the business, but you could have different outcomes. As long as, if you, if you get so obsessed on the outcomes, then you're going to really miss the key steps, which is really the inputs and the technology to get to the outcomes. Mm. But but I feel focusing on, on really good use cases that mm. everybody can get behind really come up with scenario planning on, on terms of the potential risks. And the third thing that that I did I, for big companies that I think is really, is to work through all the different layers of management. So don't just focus on at the top, like trying mm. to get the executives behind us, talk to the middle management, talk to people, the rank and file, the people at the, you know, that are at the bottom in terms mm. of the ones that are going to be kind of the hands and feet in terms of doing the execution and putting the strategy in, into practice. And the key there is really just doing, an, I use the word town hall meetings, but the question is really just doing a lot of meetings where everybody feels like they're being heard. Because I think it's yeah. important. If everybody feels that they're mm. heard and their question is being validated and anybody brings up really good points, acknowledge that and and, and mm. put that into kind of the, the risk assessments. Mm. That, that really gets people excited because people ultimately want to know that they're part of the process and they're not just being dictated to do something. Yeah, and the sort of what's in it for me, because I often feel like, yeah. you know, when data first came, well, data analytics, yeah. data science, data engineering, and, and you know, the, the change in business models and use of data, it was, we almost had to demystify data or demystify digital, yeah. if you like. And I mm-hmm. feel like we have to demystify AI, you know, machine learning, deep learning. It's just the start of a larger sort of codependent relationship, isn't it, between humans and and technology. But often in organizations, and I'm coming back to my skills question, people are afraid that AI and automation means I'm going to lose my job. So it's interesting to have that discussion upfront around those fears and demystify, like you said, exactly what AI is bringing and to which projects and what that means, not only for me and my job, but also for our ways of working. Um, Because you talk about, you know, you need the winning team mindset. (laughs) And I really like that winning together mindset, because that's exactly what we do need to collaborate on a human level, but also to collaborate within an ecosystem. Can you tell us a little bit more around the winning together mindset and what it brings to the partnership of technology, AI in this case, and human collaboration? You know, I think the key point there is that yeah, ultimately, you know, everybody's thinking about what's in it for me, yeah. right? And that makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of fear. And I think a lot of this is really driven by just the media and the different stories that are yeah. out there. You never really hear that much about 
the positive parts of what AI is doing to impact businesses mm. and communities and people's lives. Mm. Negative stories sell, right? So there's a lot of, <laughs> of stories around. Because our brains are wired. <laughs> all of these jobs are getting automated. All these people are going to be out of jobs and so on and so forth. And so that was clearly a fear and challenge for me internally mm. that I went through when it, when I tried to do this at IMBU. Mm. But it's also something that I heard because as part of the book, I did a lot of research and I spoke to other companies that kind of went through similar mm. similar journeys. And the best way to address that is, is as I say, you know, address the elephant in the room and so mm. bring it up, but, but, but don't bring it up in the context of what it is, bring it up in the context of this could be it. This could be opportunities um, on the opportunity to really up level and upskill different roles in mm. the organization. And that's where you're talking less about the problem and more about the solution in terms of how it's actually going to make someone's job more efficient. You know, when I had these conversations and I'm, I mean, a lot of people at the end of the day don't like creating spreadsheets and creating all these reports. <laughs> no. It may look like they're having fun, but they're not really having a lot of fun. People no. don't like doing all these menial tasks around, especially around, you know, looking at data. And so in terms of the, the human uh, machine uh, relationship, you know, the future of the first thing to remember is that artificial intelligence is really built by human intelligence. It's the humans that really are in control. That's the first thing to remind everyone that it's the we starting get, point, we, isn't it? It's a starting point. And, 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 and the great thing is that we actually get to define and control how we want to leverage AI in, in our different organizations or, or in our lives. Mm. And then the other part of that is, you know, by using AI, how does it actually make your job better or easier. Mm. And sure, it's going to bring a lot of efficiencies around menial tasks and processes that you don't have to do. And then the question becomes like, okay, then I'm going to save all of this time. So what's going to happen to me? Well, what's going to happen is you have to paint the picture because ultimately there's opportunities to really up-level people to really, instead of just thinking about being executors, but becoming more strategic around, because a Mm. lot of people that working companies have great institutional knowledge and ideas. The question is, how can you validate those ideas as quickly as possible? And so for us, when we were thinking about implementing AI, it was all around creating this whole growth mindset, which Mm. was all around test, learn, and iterate as quickly as possible. And so, you know, everyone everyone on my team and, and in the company, everybody has an idea, hey, we should be doing this or we should be doing that. But generally what happened is that a lot of ideas get stifled because companies don't have the resources to try everything. But with AI, especially in a business context, you can run all these different Mm. experiments around all these different hypotheses. So we kind of gamified the whole idea around bringing AI in, which was every month we would reach out to the company and, and have everyone sort of, you know, put out ideas about, hey, we want to mm. we want to try these experiments that could help grow the business. Before, it used to be more like a, a committee of a few executives sort of trying to figure out, hey, we'll do this and that. Mm. That's a lot of pressure because the truth is, having been an executive myself, we don't really know all the answers either. <laughs> you know, we, we, that's the first know. admission though, isn't it? Yeah. We don't yeah, know that's all the, the first answers. admission is to know that you don't know the answers. <laughs> and the second admission is how do you create a process to figure out the answer as quickly yeah. as possible? And, and that's what we ended up sort of bringing the mindset around this AI is actually going to enable us to have a lot of fun internally because now we come up, we have a team of, of people that really have all these ideas, mm. let's let the machine be able to run these experiments. Mm. And so just to give you an example, we used to run experiments probably about 50 
to 60 experiments a month in terms of wow. like different channels we want to test, okay. different we want to test, different audiences we want to target, different experiences. Mm. But with AI, we're able to increase that to like tens or thousands of experiments a month. Because with AI, you can do all these different permutations. For example, you know, just running an experiment like like trying to target, you know, a certain type of user in a certain country with a certain creative. Mm. But, but imagine doing that across the world because because our business is IMV is worldwide. But but instead of just limiting it to like the US, you could do that across the world, across fifty countries. Mm one month and and be able to figure out like what works in the US is completely different to what's mm. going to work in the UK or what's going to work mm. in uh, in like Singapore yeah all of that is is only possible with with the benefits of having AI and 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 the benefits of of automating a lot of the tasks mm. and processes what it came down to for us was continuing to repeat that message to mm. to people around the in terms of how it would make their jobs better but also having the the ability to invest into training our employees to really be able to understand how to work well with machines because mm. ultimately it's it's a relationship where you know if if humans work well with a machine and a machine can is is ultimately a tool that will yeah. help to to up level uh, the role that the human is doing mm. and it really came down to just educating our users showing the vision, but more importantly, doing it in stages so mm. that, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't really end up, you know, needing to let people go because we just created more work. But mm. we instead of creating more busy work, we created more high impactful work where where, where people were involved mm. and the leverage on the work they were doing was having a much bigger impact mm. on driving revenue growth. Mm. And that's the growth mindset piece though, isn't it? Equipping also people with the skills and therefore the muscles to build on critical thinking, on empathy, on that type of decision-making, getting past the data that machines don't have yet, which brings me to my other point of diverse decision-making. You talk about it in your book around the algorithms will clearly only recognize what what you give them to recognize. So how do you counter, if I come back to our example of global populations and global users, how yeah. do you make sure that you have the necessary data fed into AI and machine learning for it to recognize your user and customer base? You know, I think a lot of that really starts from how you structure the data in the first place. Mm. So it, it's just clearly making sure where you're gathering the data is being clearly structured so that the machine knows that this this user is coming from, for example, the United States. This user is coming from the United Kingdom. Mm. This user is coming from, like India, and you know this user is coming from Brazil. And so for us, and and a lot of companies have this. Generally, when when you sign up for a product or service, whether it's free or paid. Mm you end up creating an account, whether you know it or not. And and with each account, there's a unique identifying number that is associated. Mm. And, and so for us, we call it a customer ID. Mm. And so every ID was stamped to a different country that a user was coming from. So, so based on that identifier, that's how we started building these customer profiles around each identifier. So we mm. would know, you know, this user was coming from, for example, Brazil. And, and then we would look at all of the profiles of other users that are coming from Brazil and how were they behaving and, you know, what, what was resonating well for them 
mm. when they were playing our game versus users coming from the US. And the machine was able to make these recognitions and correlations around building an algorithm, which ultimately, simplistically, we say we built you know, a sophisticated algorithm that worked for our business. But what we ended up doing is we created a series of micro algorithms that worked for each country. Okay. Which, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I think diverse decision-making is also, you know, is yeah. also something in organizations with human leaders around the table, uh, which also needs growth mindset, but, you know, is often overlooked. And that's why innovation is often stifled because we don't have these diverse perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we understand that machine learning and AI and deep learning will only learn on what the human puts in as data. So I think it's really important in terms of, diversity and inclusion and and looking at what we want to recognize and which population want to serve that we try and take the bias out as much as possible as we as we code if you like so it's interesting to come back to future skills and the fact that you know ed tech and teaching children to code how do you counter that subject with children do you actually make it conscious for them or what happens there yeah you know and, and that's one of the reasons why i'm really excited to work with Tinker now, because, uh, you know, the, the big mission at Tinker, having sort of seen the the transformation mm. that a lot of companies are going to be going through, it all starts with people. And um, and when you kind of envision what the future of work's going to be, you can, you can read a number of different studies, whether it's from like Oxford University or if it's from the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the United States. Mm. But I, I think everybody agrees there's going to be more jobs that are going to be automated and and so ultimately, you know, having some understanding of technology and how coding works is really important. And the best time to really teach people how to code, it's like it's like learning any other language. Yeah. You know, the younger you are, as young as possible, you'll be able to pick this up. Yeah. And so Tinker's mission is to, you know, by 2033, to try and get every high school student to be exposed to at least learning how to code. And it's a big, bold mission, but it's something that really, you know, attracted me to the company because ultimately I I know in the future of work, it's really important to really start with the education system. And, and Tinker is the number one coding platform, and that's really used by a lot of schools mm. and, and, and parents to really teach their kids. And, and the reason why it's so successful and used by over 60 million kids is the reason why it works is because they've they've used a similar approach to what you know coming from the gaming industry, mm. where where they use this play based gamified experience. So it's it's kind of like I think a lot of people can relate to how Lego works, right? Yes. Where you take these build different blocks, and yeah. so Tinker created their own block code language mm. where where it first starts off sort of showing you how to take different blocks of code and putting it together and mm. and and sort of building a simple algorithm to tell a machine what to do and from that it sort of puts it into use cases where where kids are really unconsciously learning simple block coding and going through these progressions because the curriculum has over 5,000 different lessons but it starts and it shows you all these different progressions on Mm -hmm. on how to grow from an elementary school from a five to seven year old all the way through high school to like 18 you know we kind of cover the gamut but once kids get started on using tinker they'll be able to 
create block coding and be able to move and migrate all the way into more sophisticated forms of of coding like Python and Java. Mm. And in the process, they'll be doing all of these gamified experience of building games, creating art projects, Mm. uh, creating apps, because a Mm. lot of kids really like apps mm. and all of these things that that all of us use every day on our phone of yeah. you know but, but kids are really getting to create this and that's where the you know where where they get more and more excited about coding because ultimately learning to code is just like learning a second language mm. and I think you and I grew up in the UK yeah. and <laughs> the second language that I had to learn was French and, and uh, <laughs> yes me too <laughs> and, and and so there's a reason why they wanted you to learn French because mm. Because it, it kind of broadens your your perspective and your in, in the way you think about things mm. and and learning learning the second language as a kid is so much easier and coding is just another language but I feel coding just like you know maths and science mm. and technology and engineering the STEM subjects coding actually helps you to get better at all of those different subjects because because it has a logical computation way of thinking about things mm. like you know you're creating these rules around if this happens then this and bringing it back you know whether you end up becoming a coder or not it will just help you to to create those critical thinking skills help you to Mm. really understand how machines work so that you know in the future of work not not everybody is is going to become the coder but even to become a leader in in the future of work you got to have an understanding of how technology works Mm. and that's how and that's what coding will Will, will give you that perspective and then you'll have the empathy on how to communicate and how to influence change mm. across different organizations that, that you work with mm. because whether you're actually doing the work or you painting a picture of what you want the work to become it are just as equally important outside of just having technology skills you know the other part of future work is really creating those soft skills of, of communications and yeah. personal. those things are not going to go away because no. really if you have the soft skills to go with the knowledge of the mm. of, of technology it doesn't matter what way shape or form the future mm. work goes you know you will definitely have a really important role to play absolutely and i think it's a shame that we haven't yet got to the education system or not in all countries around the language of emotions let's put it that way or the language of human-based interpersonal skills at an educational level right from the word go because technology is great but as you say when you get into an environment where you need your more human-based skills coaching skills even if what I call basic coaching skills even if you're not a coach you may not ever become a coach However, you're going to need to build meaningful relationships and be able to collaborate um, and scale empathy, if you like, with it within an organization, whether it's a startup or or a, an SME or a large organization. So, well, I'm hoping I'm seeing small shifts that the next thing will be what Tinker is doing, but for the softer skills, because like you say, it's easy to learn when we're younger and it needs to be part of this codependent relationship that we're moving towards quite an an exponential speed um but those softer skills you don't acquire them at an, an exponential speed so i'd be interested in your thoughts on that yeah and 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 one of the things that i'll 
and, and I'll use Tinker as an example because because mm. we have millions of kids in our community. Mm. But one of the things that we really hear back from parents, you know, outside of just the delight that a lot of kids get from not only just consuming technology but actually becoming makers and creators mm. of technology, that in itself just builds a lot of confidence yeah. in, in kids. But but the other part of that, in order to do coding projects. There's a lot of like group projects that come out of that because we have this huge community. And generally when kids start working on projects, they just like with anything, it's not going to work. It's not going to be perfect and easy the first time around. And what happens is a lot of them actually reach out to other kids in the community and, and and there's millions of kids and, and and so great to see other kids really sort of, you know, working together mm. where where you get a lot of kids who are at different stages sort of reaching back and saying, hey, by the way, did you think about uh, doing it this way? You're doing it that way. And so indirectly, the bigger skill that kids are really learning from, from, from Tinker outside of just the hard skills, it's really the soft skills around mm. resilience because you need resilience when you whenever you run into mm. something that's challenging to continue to keep going. The second yeah. skill you're learning is teamwork because you reach out to con- the community and the community kind of reciprocates and, mm. and that requires communication. So mm. you're learning problem solving, teamwork, you, mm. you're learning resilience. And the delight really comes from, because we do a lot of research on, on, on our parents and, and kids and a lot of kids that use this in school, use it the same way where kids are kind of, you know, it, it's all around project-based mm. work. So you know, the delight really comes from, you know, whether you have things in common or not with other kids, but when you're doing coding, you always find something in common, which is around sort of working towards a common goal to try Mm. and solve a problem. And Mm. and that is priceless, I would say. Yeah. And they're learning collaboration. But and when you say resilience, they're also learning what I call creative resilience, aren't they? Because it's not like just bouncing back. It's like, oh, that didn't work. Let's see what else could work. Coming from a place of curiosity, and yeah. and they get to use their creativity together. That makes me very enthusiastic and hopeful for what they're going to bring into their into their workplaces, whatever those workplaces will look like in the future. Lomit, time is running, but I would like to ask you, would you have a final word or, or a call to action for our listeners who are thinking, okay, I, I need to do something to look at how I can use AI in my organization, big or small? I mean, what I would encourage, this is what happened with me, when I was thinking about AI and trying to sort of bring this transformative change mm. in in my old company at IMBU, first thing that really inspired me was to start reading around the subject yeah. and and going to YouTube and and looking at videos and and really just sort of seeing you know how are these things being done at other companies and I always get fascinated just reading and watching people's interviews. Yeah. And, and generally, you know, when you watch interviews, when something's done, you know, you, you only see part of the journey, but it's always good to sort of look at, watch people that are getting interviewed to actually tell you about where they started. And, and what you'll find is there's never a perfect start for any mm. of this transformation. It's really about just get started for the mm. most part and get started and, and just take it upon yourself to really, you know, be able to self-teach yourself yeah. by going out and finding resources, doing classes and courses. And there's a lot of great free content that's out there. So you don't necessarily need to, you know, be able to invest nine months of your life going through some formal education. (laughs) It really just comes down to self-educate and and be a lifelong learner. That's what Mm. I've been. I've always been, curiosity has always been something that's driven me from a young age. Mm. And always 
and out of curiosity comes the the ability to want to be able to find answers to the, to the different questions you keep asking mm. yourself, and so mm. that leads to becoming a, a lifelong learner. And 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 I encourage anyone, you know, um, if, if you go check out my book, Lean AI. It, it maps out the entire journey and, and it's pretty much a roadmap of the same sort of thing anybody else is going to go through if they want to implement uh, digital transformation mm. of whether it's artificial intelligence or any other transformation because, you know, it it all maps out to a similar journey. And what I went through, it maps out to hundreds of interviews that I did previously on mm. my research and everyone had a similar journey as well. Yeah, it's definitely a blueprint and a roadmap. And I think the curiosity comes through in your writing. So, you know, you make us curious about what's coming next. And it's simple even for lay people out. So I'm not an expert in AI. I understand a lot more about it than I did before I read your book. So I would uh, invite our listeners to get curious and also to read your book on Lean AI, which is not just about AI. It's about also about teamwork and the future of work and humans adapting to a digital world. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming and sharing your thoughts, your insight, your research. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Susie. It was a been pleasure. a pleasure. Yeah. Best way to um, find out about me, um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So, you know, I mean, another way to, to, to stay on top of things around AI and digital transformation, you know, I'm, I'm, I always share a lot of content on LinkedIn. So definitely reach out and, and you can connect with me or follow me on on LinkedIn. It's pretty much my name, Lomit Patel, you'll find me. I also have a website where I put a lot of blog content that I write about. And and, and my blog is pretty much my name. It's Lomit Patel, L-R-M-I-T-P-A-T-E-L.com. So you can find me at both those places. If anybody has any questions, you know, if, if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'll be happy to get back to you and, and share or at least try to answer the question to, to the best of my ability. Okay, excellent. So I would encourage you to reach out to Lomit if you've got any questions and I will put the blog he just mentioned in the show notes so that you can click straight on it. Okay, great. Thank you once again, Lomit. It's a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Susie. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the learning it brought. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your feedback and your review. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.